If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. You long for a deep, fierce love, the stuff of legends. But overwhelm, fear, and doubt keep holding you back. But this is your life and your marriage. This is the legacy you will be remembered for. So we are on a mission to inspire and challenge you to live the adventure of a legendary marriage. All right, this is episode 43 of the Legendary Marriage Podcast, and we are your hosts, Danielle and Justin Williams. This is the podcast for couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. Yeah, we know what it's like to want a great marriage, but not be sure where to start. So each week, we're bringing you inspiration, encouragement, practical ideas, and of course, a challenge that will help you build more intimacy and connection in your marriage. And we have a whole lot of fun along the way. Yeah, today on the show, we have Alan Briggs, who is talking about being creative. And I um, always have kind of a roadblock in my mind about being creative. Um, As a kid, I always thought of myself as, you know, I had a whole lot of my identity wrapped up in sports and athletics and and, um, things like that. And I never saw myself as a creative person. I always would be quick to say, oh, I don't have an imagination or I don't have creativity. And um, just since we've started with our own business and our own podcast and everything, I've kind of said, hey, I might be creative. Well, and just (laughs) for the record, I called BS on that from the start. Well, you've always been a creative person. Like you've embraced your creativity from day one. Well, here's the thing. Uh, and, And I'll talk about it from the biblical kind of a perspective. First thing we learn about God in in the biblical narrative is he creates. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then it says, and now he creates us in his image. So the, what do we know about his image? He's creative. He creates us in his image. So we must be creative too. Everybody is creative. Honey, you sound like you're doing a geometry proof here. <laughs> if these two angles Mrs. are congruent. Mrs. would be so proud of me. Oh, Miss Studenka would be proud of me too for even mentioning a geometry proof. But seriously, in high school, Justin was Danny in Greece and he was... What does that um, have to do with geometry? Well, I'm just saying like you were always... Oh, because um, I embracing I was your creativity. Creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, he was always Mr. Musical, Mr. Play, Mr. Artist, Mr. All yeah. that kind of stuff. You were the fully embraced creative. So, well, <laughs> on the show today, we have pastor, coach, and author Alan Briggs sharing about how everyone can be a genius. We're talking about who is truly perceived as creative, and w- is it possible to revive your suspicion? suppressed creativity and how he embraced the family mantra of, yo, we do stuff. (laughs) He sounds like a really cool parent. And, you know, being a dad of four kids, um, you gotta, you gotta bring the dad thing big time. So, you know, we actually have, um, something for parents this month. We all want to be great parents. You know, we're worried if we're doing the right things or not, or adding too much fodder to their future therapy sessions. But as it turns out, being a legendary parent may be a little simpler than you think. Maybe. We've got a free resource for you to prove that, that it's true. It's called Five Practices of Legendary Parents, and you can pick it up over at legendarymarriage.com parents. 
Our guest on the show today, Alan Briggs, um, contends that you have genius inside you that's highly creative, and it may not look like what we typically think creative looks like. Alan is a church planner, pastor, coach, author of three different books now. The first, Staying is the New Going. The second is called Guardrails. And the book we're talking about today is Everybody's a Genius. Yeah, he equips leaders and teams for health and kingdom impact. He's a proud dad of four and a missionary to his neighborhood and city. So eager to hear what Alan has to say about being a genius in your own way. So welcome to the show, Alan Briggs. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been fun listening to you guys banter and affirm one another and occasionally fight. It makes me feel very normal in my marriage. So, Oh, I'm glad we could set the bar super low for you. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, So, Alan, you've got a new book coming out. Tell us a little bit about your book before we jump into the show. Yeah, so it's called Everyone's a Genius. And the subtitle is Unleashing Creativity for the Sake of the World. And I've just taken on this huge topic of creativity that most people don't feel invited to the party. You know, they didn't get the invite and uh, it is, it's been a blast to have conversations about it. And so a little bit like a baby and that, you know, man, it's just time to get this thing into the world. Yeah. I love it. Now, have you always considered yourself kind of a creative guy? No, no. And certainly not a writer. So growing up, it was, uh, I was the jock and the artists were kind of, over there doing creative stuff. We're not sure what, but uh, they seem to be having fun while they're doing it. And um, I always have compared creativity to somebody that had, I don't know, their own unique niche or they were able to do a particular kind of music or art. And they um, really were kind of a prodigy in that. And they were exceptional and nobody could live up to their standard. And we just had such a skewed view of this. So essentially in many ways, I'm writing this to myself and sort of understanding the message first and realizing that so much of my canvas has been people, which has gotten me um, ultimately into pastoring and coaching and equipping leaders. Um, And so, yeah, my my canvas is a little harder to understand than most folks. So it took me until my mid twenties to see that, that I am truly a creative and actually that everybody is as well. Now you're speaking uh, about yourself as like, you know, kind of the high school college version of yourself. And we all kind of have those moments when we think back to the younger days and, you know, how we felt, you know, did we fit in and didn't we fit in and all that. And so I I know you're married and you have four kids and um, I'm very curious to hear about your wife. Tell me, tell me a story about when you guys were young and in love. Oh man. Okay. So when we were dating, I wanted to be above board and honest. Here's what I'm feeling. I wanted to give her updates along the way. And so, hey, here's my update. I'm going to put my heart out there vulnerably for you and tell you how much I'm falling in love with you. And then I would get nothing back from her. So she was giving no clues or like, oh, that that's great. So I didn't know if this was her polite way of sort of breaking up with me quietly each time or if she was just messing with me. And really, it it turns out that that for her, she just didn't want to say anything that later she would regret. She was very careful with her feelings. And ultimately, that's how she had stayed single as a beautiful woman that long. And so uh, it was ultimately it was it was a cool thing. But, man, it made me so insecure in the dating process as we headed toward engagement. 
Hey, that sounds familiar. You're like, you're beautiful and I love you, but you're kind of scarring me for life like every 10 minutes, but I love it. I put myself (laughs) out there and yet the quiet rejection again. (laughs) Okay, so you were talking about, so your book is dealing with just kind of those those creative hearts, those creative minds. And um, and also just... I know that this is something that I've struggled with, just the idea of seeing myself as an uncreative person because I'm not like those people that you talked about that maybe are like a painter or a singer or you know something like that. Um, have you ever found people that you're like, man, they are amazingly creative and gifted, but they don't even, you don't even see them or they don't even see it in themselves? All the time. Yeah, it comes up that most people have four or five reactions to creativity and a couple of them are, I'm not creative or I used to be creative and creativity kind of gets beat out of us throughout life. You know, if you were to ask a kindergarten class, who's an artist, they all raise their hand. And yet if you would, you know, were to ask people in their mid twenties, who's an artist, maybe one person in a large group would raise their hand. And so um, I think as, as the creativity gets beat out of us, so does kind of the risk and faith and the idea of taking a risk on something that could get criticized or critiqued. And so um, I think one of the common reactions is, is that. But what I find is as I dig into people's lives, there's creativity everywhere. The barriers that people face, um, how have they kind of gotten through that barrier? And how have they created sort of their next right step and, and taken that? A friend of mine is an incredible chef. And uh, doesn't work professionally as a chef anymore and doesn't always love to cook at home, but can effortlessly put together an incredible meal that I never could, a team of people couldn't. But that's just how he's wired to create. And so I uh, have put kind of uh, this section of the book of you might not be a creative in your mind, but here you go and kind of renaming those. So I'd call him a hospitable as somebody that just invites folks into his life. He happens to do that through food and smell and drink and and everything else. Uh, His name's Trevor, but I think we could say that of about anybody in our lives is that there's a buried creativity there. Um, And certainly that applies to marriage in so many different ways. And, And our spouse, I see that in my wife who would say she's not creative, but she is wildly creative. Yeah. Tell, tell us about your wife. How is she, what is she uh, wildly creative about? Is she, uh, she a chef too? <laughs> so she's not, she's not a chef, uh, has recently gotten more excited about food, but she actually works um, within the foster care realm and uh, is, is incredibly wired to both administrate and to be relational, which is a hard combo to find and um, gets families pushed over that line to be able to serve kids, get them out of really hard scenarios. Um, She's incredible, actually, at seeing how people are wired and gifted. And it just has been amazing to kind of open my eyes up and is probably the most hospitable person that I've ever met in the sense that she just invites people into her life but without expectations. And so, you know, she's, she's not trying to coach them like I might. And, and they, she's literally just inviting them in as they are. And looks like a lot with school parents and moms and people who are struggling. She's incredible at that. So that's, that's kind of her field of genius, if you will. Yeah. You know, you touched on the idea of people not perceiving their own creativity. And that was absolutely true for Danielle for a very long time. And the last year or so, um, I've seen I've seen that that belief shift, and and so I'm curious, what would you say to somebody who 
doesn't perceive themselves as creative? You know, most times we need to get around other people. And I think the call of this book is really for affirmation. And we really don't affirm very well in our culture today. We, we generally affirm, but with a challenge or a strategy, or here's how that can affect me, or here's my vision for your life to do with this. But if we just affirm, it's amazing the power in that. And uh, I think very few of us have people around us saying, you're amazing at this, but now you need to deal with the creator and how this actually makes its way into the world. Um, so I think we're really in a poverty or a scarcity of affirmation. And I think if we can just do that piece um, within community, I mean, I would imagine people sitting around the table, perhaps armed with the book even, just to say, this thing you're amazing at. Now, how does that make its way into the world is something that we need to deal with. So I think it's a both and. Yeah. I'm thinking about how uh, some of the studies and, and everything are showing how the new generation is coming into the workforce and they, they don't want to be, and I mean, I don't, and none of us really want to be the kind of drone um, stamp the product, kind of do the, do the task and then go home thing. People want to have an impact. They want to be in an integral part of things and, and a part of that creative process, whether it's designing software or building cars or whatever in between. So what does it look like for a leader in the marketplace to, to do that, to say, you know, we've got, we have to, we have to make widgets, but we want to bring out the creativity and the gifts of those people that they're leading. Mm -hmm. I, I think the, the affirmation piece without team afterwards is pretty empty. So I think there's a huge hunger for team right now and for true collaboration and not just, Hey, could you give a thought? Could you sign off on this? Like we've traditionally done in the marketplace, but truly to collaborate with one another and kind of co-create, I think there's a massive call for that. And we can see, you know, see it in the extreme version, you know, at Google and everyone's sitting around on a yoga ball and you know, it doesn't have to be weird like that. It doesn't have to be some flat organization, but I think people are hungry to collaborate. And um, I just don't want us to miss out on that as kingdom leaders. I think there's a massive space for that right now in, in almost every group of people that I see there's this deep hunger for team. I think there's a huge challenge really that that I see and you spoke to like you ask a class full of kindergartners who's an artist and everybody wants to raise their hand. And then by the time you're, you know, heading into college, maybe one or two kids and, you know, you tell those kids that say, well, I'm going to be an artist. And then you say, you're never going to make any money at that. You're going to be a starving artist. Um, you know, no, nobody's going to hire you to you know. Oh, you mean where we poop all over our kids' dreams? Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like the teenage years, we kind of go through these fa this phase where people tell us to get real and, and, and push down our creativity. But then, like you're saying, in the marketplace, you're asked to be creative and a problem solver and a team player. And then it's like, wait, I haven't been practicing that for the last 10 years. Like, how do I... How do, how do I revive that part of my spirit? I think uh, so much of that has to do with play and curiosity and the idea that we can do things and, and even call ourselves an artist perhaps and not make a dollar doing it. 
And so I have a side hustle. I know a whole lot of other people that have side hustles, but it doesn't mean if you get a passion for something that you need to monetize it. And, uh, and sometimes absolutely that can become a piece of it. But I think a lot of that is the monetization of that to say, if it's not worth my time, if I can't trade my time for dollars, then it doesn't count. And a friend of mine told a story of, of an artist in San Francisco at a coffee shop that had painted a mural on the wall. And, um, and said, who's the artist? And went to that person, began to ask them questions like they did it 40 hours a week. And they said, oh, no, it's not my job, but I'm an artist. And was able to separate between those. And so even if we do make widgets uh, in that sense, that in many ways, we kind of need that for the health of our souls, just like we need the recreation you guys talk about. And whether it's date nights or just those, those aspects of life, I think the completeness is to actually pour our hearts out and, and even with writing for me, if I never made a dollar, never sold a book, I need to write to, to be who I am and actually to feel whole. So joke's on me if I don't get to write in, mm. in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you said it's almost like soul therapy. Like what is it, um, what happens to a person like in their soul, in their heart, when they're able to tap into the creator or the creative spirit that they have in them? Like, what does that change look like for them? I call it the divine breeze. And so, I mean, when, when you're on the beach and there's that smell of the ocean and there's that breeze and it is room temperature and you're like, ah, so how do you, how do you quantify that, Danielle? I mean, like describe that feeling to me. It's really hard to describe, but when you're there, you go, Oh man, this, this is it. And so I think there's this breathe deep that, um, when I am effortlessly creating, that means it's the creator just sort of blowing that through me. And so I think, um, I think it's, it's that deep joy. It's that fulfillment that I think people are after and seeking. And, um, and I think it's okay to, to just work hard within our jobs in many ways and to not feel like, Hey, they call it work for a reason, but that doesn't mean because you're wrestling or struggling in your job that you shouldn't create time for woodworking. I mean, I love getting splinters and making things uh, along as I do that. I've gotten better doing at that. My wife lets me put some things up in the house that are largely reclaimed wood and can give our children splinters. Um, they're not safe, but it's okay. Uh, and, and so just that act of creating, I feel the divine breeze flowing through me. Um, and it absolutely feeds my soul selfishly so that then I can, uh, of course, pour out to my kids, my family, those around me. So uh, you touched on the word, I think a minute ago, um, it, it's creativity is this, is this aspect of our identity and, and it, it it's, you're right. In so many ways, I think we've dissociated it. We've, we've left it behind. Like Daniel was saying, it gets stomped out of us. Um, what's it look to start? What's it look like to start reintegrating that? I think for, um, for most people, the fear is actually in taking the first step. And I, I work with writers and actually leading a writer's cohort right now. And, and as I've thought about it and read a bunch of books about writing, which is a weird thing to do anyway, um, about the act of writing, the biggest barrier to writing is actually not writing at all. So what's a writer? Someone who writes. There's no degree you put on your wall. What's an artist? Someone that creates, someone that puts some kind of, you know, paint on a canvas. And so I think in many ways, it's wrong perceptions and fears that we've thought you got to have this, you got to do that. 
And yet nobody's holding us back. Nobody's actually saying, Justin, you're not an artist. Danielle, you're not creative. Um, those are just the voices, the mindset, the barriers that, that we're feeling within our own heads. And so I think a lot of it's just a head game. And I think ultimately that, that holds us back, that mindset from actually doing anything and sort of feeling the pleasure of the creator as we do it. Now, I'm wondering if... If an organization, or let's just say the church, for example, because you um, definitely mentioned that in your book, if a church were to like fully tap into the creativeness of the people that they're leading or in their congregation or, you know, or their class or their community or whatever it is, if you had a group of people that was fully tapped into that creative soul, like what could happen? You know, I think the question around this is what counts what what counts as ministry what counts as kingdom work what counts as creativity and i think we've defined it wrongly and i think that's what folks are looking for in a lot of church leaders and kingdom leaders is just for somebody to say what you are doing matters you know this podcast counts as creativity it matters in kingdom work. And I see the divine breeze flowing through you as you do this. And so I I think that's largely the question that um, me as a pastor, uh, I feel that responsibility and stewardship to be able to say, this counts, whether it's Kim that leads the boutique or whether it's ATM that leads uh, his barber shop, or whether that's the guy that is making a ton of money and giving a ton of money away uh, and stewarding young leaders around them and leading a company, company with integrity to, to say to them, I don't need anything from you. And what you are doing counts as kingdom work. Keep doing it. And I think we, uh, as church leaders, the onus is on us because we've done a poor job at affirming, I think. This episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast is brought to you by the Legendary Marriage Intensive. Rediscover the heart of your marriage. If you love each other, but you've lost heart, then it's time for the Legendary Marriage Intensive. A beautiful mountain lodge, three days of clarity, purpose, adventure, and renewing your love for each other as you forge friendships and transform your marriage forever. We'll help you look at the story of your relationship with fresh eyes so that you can fall in love all over again. You'll resolve some of those longstanding and recurring challenges and craft a clear, fresh vision for the next season of your marriage and your family. Oh, and you'll have some epic adventure in the mountains and romantic night on the town. It's deep, rich learning, adventure, and plenty of laughs as you work on transforming your marriage and family forever. It's October 19th through the 22nd in Breckenridge, Colorado. We have limited space, so find out more. And apply at legendarymarriage.com slash intensive. And now back to our interview with Alan Briggs. I hear you're just saying like um, everybody, everybody can be called forth into being creative and using their gifts. Um, There's no... um, there's no one who should be left out, you know, even the guy that just stands in the corner, you know, and listens to the songs from the back of the church or whatever, like there is something that he has to offer. Um, and we just need to tap into everybody. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, if the, if the spiritual gifts left the building and the reality is so, if that dude, if we're, we're thinking about a, a worship service in a church space, that is one hour, two hours out of the week. So what is that person doing the rest of the week? And so what if we 
as church leaders took field trips around to just watch our people in their native environments to go, man, that guy sells a lot of real estate. Like he must know how to connect with people somehow. That gal knows how to gather women at her house. And I don't get it, how she doesn't go nuts with 20 kids running around and this, this you know, team of, of women that she has assembled around her. But man, they know how to do something uniquely. So I think we got to look a little bit harder as well um, at what, what's the rest of the six and a half days a week look like of them kind of living in their genius and their native environment, the good, bad, and the crazy of, of family and job and work and play and all that. Yeah, I feel like you're really speaking to the aspect of um, knowing your community, like knowing your neighbors really well, knowing your friends really well, um, knowing your family really well. I mean, Justin and I have, we've tried to call out gifts that are in our kids. Um, that even from a very young age, we've tried to, we just, we get geeked up by uh, identity and mission and gifts and things like that. So we try to really zero in on, you know, even though she's three, like she has specific gifts um, to bring to the world. And um, I'm just curious, what, um, how do you tap into the gifts and the creativity at home, you know, with your kids, with your wife? Like, what could that look like? Oh, man, we, we love serving with our family. And um, kind of our, our home base uh, has really become kind of mission central to what does it look like to live out of this this space? So we talk instead of a fortress where we're tucked away from the world as what if this were just sort of a hub for life, love and ministry um, right here. And so, yes, it's chaotic. And yes, hospitality sometimes looks more like last minute mac and cheese or a little Caesar's pizza than it does this, you know, white table, Martha Stewart perfection that, you know, someone on Pinterest tried really hard to take that shot of the guacamole that looked perfect. You know, that's not real life. And so we just sort of invite people in, kick some toys aside because that's how my life is. Come on in. We call it haphazard hospitality. And so I think kind of providing that haphazard hospitality where invite people into our lives, even when we're a mess and we're in our PJs, um, our kids see that we get to serve coffee. We serve coffee every single Friday, uh, to school parents in the school right across the way. We call it free coffee Friday and our kids are out there and, and our son then wants to take a cup to his teacher. And it's just been beautiful to, to watch them just kind of get that, but also just something that I have a huge bent for entrepreneurship and I really want to kind of prepare our kids for the gig economy and freelancing and just the changing economy. So when our kids are 12, I'll teach them. Um, they, they choose a business and we do it together. And then at 13, I pass it off to them and whether it continues or not really isn't the point. I do a cold brew coffee business with my daughter and my son's talking about landscaping in a few years. Um, but really the point is that they try something, they fail a little bit, realize it's okay and realize that ultimately, um, give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen? So I think we ask that a lot. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst people can say? And, um, so yeah, we, we love kind of having them at the, the central piece of that as messy and slow as it can be to, to have our kids doing things with us, man, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. You touch on something that, that insidious fear of failure that uh, it just robs us of so much life. Um, and so providing your, your kids or, and even yourself, those, those opportunities to, to fail forward, to find something out of it in, in, a, in a way where you're there with them. I think it's brilliant. I, like, we, 
we've started that a little bit with with our girls with the lemonade stand, but then we found out that it costs four hundred dollars to get a license for the kids' lemonade oh, stand. Oh, that's a bunch of hooey. <laughs> <laughs> so um i'm i'm curious uh you and your wife have been married how long we are just about to hit 10 years which is crazy that it's only 10 so we have an almost 14 year old daughter and nine-year-old son um who are both adopted from ethiopia so we've gone the fast track to parenting and then um, we have biological kids that are six and three. So it's a ride, man. Four, four kids with a, a 10 year span in there. Wow. Okay. So give us some advice. We're, we've still got the littles here. What is it like to have a teenager at home? Well, my challenge for you. <laughs> my daughter's in eighth grade. So let me just say it's terrifying. When I think about what a terrible human being I was in eighth grade, I just think, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, those are the boys that are sort of lurking around my, my daughter. Now, in, in all honesty, I love it. I love um, having a teenage daughter. The kind of stuff that we talk about, the real conversations, she can push back a little bit of, hey, that isn't something that I'm really excited about, Dad. Can we do this instead? So I really feel like I can kind of move in a little bit to coach mode of saying, you know, hey, if, if you want some thoughts from me on how that drama could not continue into your eighth grade year with those girls, just let me know. And so I feel like, you know, there's a really fun phase in here where we can talk about a lot of real life stuff. And um, she's so sharp and so creative. And um, there's just a lot of commonalities too, just as they get older, it's just fun things you can do together. Um, and even my nine-year-old, we just started mountain biking together and I didn't see that coming. So it's just been a blast to be able to have some new things in common uh, with my kids. So uh, honestly, I'm loving it as they get older. I love how you said um, to your daughter, who's 14, you know, if you would like some thoughts on how that drama could not continue, that sounds like something that would be <laughs> that you may have had that same conversation with your wife. Have you ever said, well, if you would like some thoughts on that, I would be happy to weigh in, but otherwise uh, I'm just listening. Just <laughs> If you would like to consult me on this, here's my hourly. As it turns out, I'm a coach. You can email me. (laughs) I'm unattached, honey, but you know, uh, you know, unattached information or the outcome, but you know. I have an invitation to be able to share this thought with you. But what a brilliant way, what a brilliant way of both empowering somebody and calling them forth is to say, hey, I have something I want to offer you if you're interested. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I, I think that that invitation, even to our kids, is important. There's obviously obedience type things, but there's this huge gray area of life. Uh, What does it look like to raise wise kids? What does it look like to dig into the Proverbs and say, this is how you live wisely and in a foolish world. So um, yeah, we, we spent a lot of time focusing on discernment and, you know, it's in the midst of life and it's in car conversations five minutes at a time. And, um, you know, going to Dutch bros with my daughter and, you know, opening up a proverb really quickly. I mean, it's, it's those kind of moments. So it's not like we're doing these extensive studies and these yeah. four days away to focus on how you could be wise at 14, you know, in the midst of life kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love how um, you, you were talking about just kind of the boundaries or like bringing yourself as a coach or a pastor. Um, you're like, I have all this, like, you know, all these skills and all these giftings, but they are available to you. Um, I'm just curious, what has been a challenge for you as a pastor and a coach, um, you know, 
kind of drawing boundaries as a husband? Have you ever had challenges in that kind of an area? Always, always, <laughs> every week. I mean, I, I say that my wife is a way better shepherd than I am. And I, um, you know, she, she loves to kind of in a true counselor sense, really sit with folks. And she's amazing at being present with folks um, in, in their pain and, and in their process and, uh, counselor and coach work really well together. Cause I think in many ways she wants to see people move from, you know, kind of eight feet underground to, to level ground. And I like to see if somebody has a vision to climb a mountain, say, what is your mountain and how can I come along with you in that? And so uh, I think the the main thing is to realize we're gifted in different ways in different areas. I admire her and she is amazing in those areas. And, uh, possesses a patience with me and with others that I do not have. And to, I, I used to feel bad and even shameful about that. And now to be able to realize that's part of how we're wired and gifted. Um, and I will say, I know Justin hates anything that might measure something with our personalities, but I'm an Enneagram seven as well. So I'm not a big fan of pain. And so, uh, being fun loving and also a pastor has its challenges when um, there is pain present every single week. You know, the backs, yeah. you know, dark side of, of a lot of, um, you know, people's lives that, that others don't know. And so we, we talk through that and navigate that a lot. And, and there are times on the weekend when I just need to not hear pain from those in our immediate circle um, a bit. So we, we talk about that on date night and make sure that it doesn't sort of leak into everything that we're talking about for sure. Boundaries are, as you guys know, it's just a common every single day, every single week kind of thing. You don't graduate from the boundaries class. Yeah. I'm not and, sure we graduated. For the record, <laughs> I don't hate everything to do with personalities and measurements. You don't I, love it. You don't love it. But don't put them in a box. But I use those tools all the time. With other people. You just don't like them flipping it back on you. Yep. Speechless. Speechless. Okay, so Alan, you are on the Legendary Marriage Podcast. That so, was me creating safe and courageous environment for myself. Thank you. You did a good job, honey. Um, thank you for giving yourself a pat on the back. Um, so what do you think it takes to build a legendary marriage? So I think there's some practicals uh, that I, I think it takes decisions ahead of time before life gets crazy. I think so many people are waiting for the moment they feel like they have enough space for their date night in their schedule, or they feel like they've graduated from the little kid phase and finally our life can get normal. And there are people that feel like taking an anniversary trip for the last 10 years have never gotten around to it. And so um, one of our family mottos is we do stuff. And so I think it's put it on the calendar ahead of time, far before you know who's going to take care of your kids. And with four, we have to farm them out. And it's always an issue finding childcare and all of that. Um, so I think it's, it's just making that cerebral decision to commit to that trip or to commit to that date night or commit to that night that she really wants me at that gala or whatever it might be, support her in her work thing, support me in something that I'm doing before we even feel like committing to it in, in our own hearts. So I, I think that we do stuff phrase has really been so good for us. And we just see so many couples, Oh, we'll get around to it someday. We'll get around to it someday. And um, life just moves too quickly and our schedules are too full. So I think it takes decisions ahead of time that are head decisions before you actually feel that way. And then strangely enough, you find the romance in the midst of, of that decision. 
Love it. Yeah. Um, so Alan, I know um, speaking of loving it, I know our listeners today are loving what you have to say. So how can they find you and what are you doing? Uh, I've got a website, alanbriggs.net. That's A-L-A-N-B-R-I-G-G-S. And um, my book, Everyone's Genius, is out. So I'd love uh, for them to to check that out. And um, really, uh, in the blog, I try to be really, really practical uh, at my site. So not ethereal, way up in the clouds. I love to kind of give practical thoughts on life and navigating the, the madness of that. So yeah, come on by my site. I love how Alan challenges us to move past the typical creative, like art and music, to really just call out the strengths that we see in one another, especially in marriage. Yeah, I think we all know how important words of affirmation are. Mm -hmm. Even if that's not your love language, so to speak, speaking truth to one another, about one another, calling each other forth into into your brilliance to 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 be the best you possible, that's a part of what makes a great marriage. For instance, honey, when I come down in the morning and you've made a bunch of cute, delicious pancakes for the girls, that's your creative gift. I love it. Sure. And every time I go out in the garage and see the wall shelves covered in bins of kids' clothes, <laughs> Please don't organized by, by age and size and gender and color and everything, and the way you share that with the community of people that we're a part of. Honestly, I do love that you're calling out my bins because I love my bins. So thank you for affirming <laughs> that, honey. Anytime, anytime. All right, so don't forget to go over to Amazon and grab a copy of Alan's book, Everybody's a Genius. It's available in paperback and Kindle. Yes, and go ahead and have a conversation with your spouse. Tell each other where you see their creativity shine. So that's going to be your challenge for this week. Right, then join the conversation over in our free community on Facebook. It's a private group for men and women to support, encourage, inspire, and share stories about transforming your marriage from ordinary to legendary. Yeah, search for the Legendary Marriage Group or visit legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash zero four three. And don't forget to jump on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Have a great week. And remember, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us on the adventure. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.